If someone's kidneys are starting to fail, then they got to go and they got to get hooked up to a hemodialysis machine and then basically does the work of your kidney. And the materials that we have, what's nice about them is that they can make them into a porous type structure that has the right pore size that basically pulls out the bad stuff out of your blood. It's actually the, the filter media that, yeah. that is made out of the plastic. Welcome to It's Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world. With your hosts, Pranithi Padia and Tom Miller. In today's episode, how polymers can save lives. Hey everyone, hope you're all having a great day. Our guest for today's episode is Jeff Rivnak, a strategic growth manager at Solve with over 20 years of diverse experiences and knowledge, including finding innovative solutions for Solve's specialty polymers in the global healthcare industry. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really look forward to speaking to your audience. Just to start off, can you tell us a little more about how you gained your expertise in the polymers industry and why you've worked so extensively with this material class? Yeah, for me, and you know, I, I think this is important for anyone you know, going out into the workforce these days, is I really have enjoyed what I've done. You know, very early on, I realized that I liked science, I liked math, I liked the chemistry aspect of it. You asked me to go put in a light bulb. It's not going to work. You know, I can't do that. <laughs> but if I want me to make something that is, makes like a volcano that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I do that. I've always made it so I've had a lot of fun. And I think I could have worked in a lot of different fields. It didn't have to be polymers. It just so happens as I started to, you know, go down my career path early on, I got some experience in the polymer field and started going down that path. And it's given me a lot of opportunities. I haven't got bored. And when I do get bored, I can switch into different types of material classes and really do a lot of different things. So polymers is a very wide ranging material class and you know, has many different applications in consumer products and in industry, probably speaking. So needless to say, we have a lot to cover today about polymer innovation, but all that to be said, before we do, you know, broadly speaking, what's the difference between polymers and the other major classes of materials, you know, most notably being ceramics and metals, which we've covered on the show. So, you know, I think we've all seen that these types of materials, you know, plastics, metals, ceramics. In my career, I haven't competed against ceramics as much. It seems like we've been more competing against metal and metal replacements. We've always thought of it as the different properties that each of these materials have. Mm -hmm. and, and each one offers different things. Metals, you know, is the material choice for a long time, but a lot of the technologies that are getting enabled in that, you know, the green type technologies, the sustainable type technologies, they're being enabled by plastics. Metals can be heavy. They don't give you as much freedom to do things. Um, they can be expensive to produce. So if you need a car that's going to get more gas mileage, one way is to do the engine and improve that. We have materials that can, can help you to maybe it needs to run hotter. Maybe it needs different gases, you know, corrosive gases. Polymers need to help with that. Or you just need a lighter car. So if you don't have as much weight, it goes further. So plastics are enabling to do that and not only make things cheaper, but also you know, improve the technology. I know we'll get more into technical stuff later, but I'm just curious, you know, you alluded to putting plastic in a car engine, which sounds kind of crazy to me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just curious, what would that entail? What specific type of polymer might we be talking about there? So what do, you, what do you think, when you think of a plastic, you two, you know, what types of materials first come to mind when you think of a plastic? I mean, you think of, I mean, we just went grocery shopping. So, you know, we think of like <laughs> plastic bags and, you know, water bottles and 
like polyethylene things oh, of that nature yeah, right <laughs> and so for sure and so and i think a lot of people have that perception of okay that, that's all plastics are cheap materials that you know are packaging and you know i worked in specialty polymers so nobody uses our plastics unless it doesn't do multiple things you need high temperature you need you know it'd be corrosive you need it to be great electrical properties you know and, and usually it's a multiple of those if you just need one property you can go buy a cheaper plastic go buy it so, <laughs> just, so, so you start to go into a car engine like fluoroelastomers so typically go into car engines and, and so they they hold up to the heat they hold up to the types of environments that you would see in the car engine so and, and there's multiple other ones a lot of the paneling that you might even think is metal in your car xf type presence so it's a plastic that it's super strong light looks like a metal and, but it really it really decreases the overall weight and gives you the same type of performance right so you know really enabling technologies and what specifically type of polymer was that coral elastomers are like you know, so they're high-tech high numbers, so they can you know, stretch them and go back. You know, so they'd be for seals and those types of things. But then for, like, the XF, it's sort of a high-end nylon, and those types of materials can give you use for different body panels or, or different parts in the car. So that was a great sidebar. Definitely enjoyed that. <laughs> but our, our topic for today is really just focused on polymer innovation in the healthcare industry. Right. <laughs> so I was just wondering, you know, how does the chemistry of polymers make them useful in the healthcare industry and you know in what situations are they favorable over metals and ceramics so there's again just going back to why do you use a special polymer you need you need multiple things if it's going to work and, and so for healthcare a lot of the materials that are used in healthcare um, you need to, they need to be sterilized so you need both high temperature and you need it also in a very human type environment and a lot of a lot of plastics will break down you know, in those types of environments. You know, we all see the our hoses out back that turn yellow over time and, you know, other plastics. So there's plastics that can be sterilized up to a thousand times. So you can see so you can reuse them in, the, in these types of things. So this makes them very useful for medical devices and other types of applications, you know, which is one type of example. You know, another type of example is maybe you need really great oxygen water permeability. So you, you develop a, a new drug. And so now how are you going to package that? So you're going to put it in a pill bottle, which you maybe you don't need as much. If that drug doesn't break down with water and oxygen, then you maybe just put it in a pill bottle. If, you, if it does break down and well, two months later, it's not going to work because of that, then you got to put it into a packaging, a blister pack, one of those ones, the pill packs that you push out. And there's plastics out there that can help you with those types of applications. I believe you mentioned also, I get the humidity aspect and why that's necessary. Did you also mention high temperature and why would that be the case for these applications? Yeah, so so when you sterilize something. So let's say uh, someone you know, so that you get a knee replacement. So, you know, one example of like our radial type materials, they're polysulfones, they're, they're called trials. So if you're going to go in for a knee operation, they get you on the table. And then the doctor will see, are you a size four knee or a size five knee? So they actually take, <laughs> they take that knee, and no joke, and they take it and they tap it in, see, oh, four's a little big, a little too much movement. <laughs> right. And they're all colored because the doctor doesn't want to be looking on there as a size four, size five. So each one is coloring them is very important. So it's very simple in the operating room. And so they figure out what size, and they put it back into the case. 
And then after the operation, they go sterilize all that and they use them on to the next patient. And then the doctor will then put in the real knee that's going to stay there for, you know, for the 20 years or 30 years that you're going to have. So, you know, that's just one example of how, you know, how the materials are used. That reminds me of like bowling shoes, how like they'll give you different <laughs> sizes and they'll be like, oh, you're not quite a nine. We'll give you an eight. <laughs> okay. But at least they don't spray the little stuff on there. You know, the little yeah. stuff. You know, so there's a sterilization that's so a little bit higher tech. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, if that's the way they sterilize, realize these knee replacements I'm a little I'm a little scared if it's that sketchy spray they have at the bowling alley so not here for it okay so you know all joking aside I mean you, you spray in the, in the bowling shoe but there's there's over 25 different chemicals that are used in the hospital type environment you know and this right. with COVID this is obviously coming up more and more because you know how are we going to sterilize things and, and they're aggressive I mean, these are these are very aggressive chemicals because you, you want to kill the bacteria, obviously. And again, these materials hold up to those aggressive type chemical environments. So, you know, cheap plastic, you wipe that on two, three times, you start to get crazing, which just means little cracks start to form in it. You get little cracks and you get bacteria, then all, you know, nothing good is going to come with that. So if you get a high-end plastic, you can disinfect it with these aggressive chemicals, kill the bacteria on there. And, and then use it you know, multiple times. All right, so Editor Tom here. Some definitions and background before getting into this next part of the episode. So let's define two notable groups of polymers, which will be useful to understand for this discussion. First, thermoplastics. Thermoplastics are polymers that above a certain temperature, known as their glass transition temperature, are able to flow like a viscous fluid, but at temperatures below the glass transition temperature, thermoplastics act like solids. A common example of thermoplastics in products are Lego bricks, for which I played with many as a child, which are made out of ABS, or plastic bottles, some of which are made out of PET. The other major class of polymers which will be useful for this discussion are thermosets. So thermosets are polymers that are created from the curing of viscous resins. During the curing process, neighboring polymer chains form strong cross-linked bonds. These strong cross-linking bonds means thermosets do not undergo a transition to a viscous fluid prior to decomposition in the way that thermoplastics do. Examples of thermosets include rubbers, and specifically the rubbers in tires. Both of these classes of polymers have advantages and disadvantages in a number of engineering applications. The properties of both of these classes of polymers can be varied dramatically through changing the chemical formula of the repeating unit of the polymer. This allows for a diverse range of material properties to be obtained from polymers, broadly speaking. And I'll let Jeff show off some of those diverse properties driving applications in this next part of the show. So let's dive into how the structure plays a role into all of that. I was wondering, you know, how does, if it's a thermoplastic versus a thermoset or pendant groups cross-linking, how does all of that play a role into the applications these polymers are selected for? I think it's, it depends on what you want to do and right. your processing of it. Um, so I've been in the healthcare area for a while. I just moved over to the composites GBU. So, you know, so I switched into a new area. So 
In composites, thermosets are a very big thing. The epoxies, they react and they have the carbon fibers in there to make these. But they're also moving towards thermoplastic types composites because they can, it gives you a different type of processing, a different way of doing things. And so maybe you can make things cheaper, you can make a different form of it. So it really comes into, you need a strong engineer, someone with some experience to guide you down the path of, you know, what are you really trying to do? And then what gives you the properties you need, what gives you the, the lowest cost, total cost of ownership to do that, and also gives you the properties that, that you're ultimately looking for. So a lot of times different material classes just, just fit right for different applications. Like when I was in the healthcare area, we had seven families of materials. You know, Solve has 30, approximately 35, especially polymers, has 35 to 40 different families of materials. And then of those families, there's probably about, I don't know, 1,500 different products. So of those 35 to 40 families, seven of them made sense for healthcare because they had the right material properties that, that you needed from. You know, whether it's temperature, chemical resistance, can be sterilized. And then even some of the more interesting ones, we have ones that we talked about the need. We, we, currently, we don't have material that are, that are in the permanent need. We're looking at that for the future. But we do have materials that go into like spinal cages. So if you have an issue with your spine, some of the vertebrae need to be replaced. You can do titanium, but there's issues with titanium. First of all, if you do take an x-ray of it, x-rays bounce off of it, lights up. And so it's very hard for the doctor to see what's really going on. You know, was it put in right? Is there problems around that area? You can't really tell. So we have a material peak that matches the properties of bone and this is important because if you have titanium it's super strong stronger is better right you'd think that but the problem is it's stress yields so your your body goes oh wow this this is taking care of all the load so all the bones around that start to not do their job and over a decade you're going to lose bone density and then all those other weaker. bones are going to start to crack mm-hmm. so 20 years ago i had a screw in my ankle when i broke my ankle and you know, a year later, the doctor's like, "Oh, we need to take the screw out." And I'm like, "You mean I got to do rehab again?" And he's like, "Yeah, but this is best long term." I didn't understand it back then. You know, now I do. I didn't like going through rehab a second time, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, it was necessary to you know keep the strong ankle. And just a quick clarification there: when you say 40 classes of materials, are you talking about? you know, different polymer subdivisions, but you're talking about, you know, one class might be a, a peak class of materials that you have all these applications for. Then the next one might be some advanced conductive polymer that you have all these applications for and going down the line that way, or yeah, how does that disseminate down to the products? So like different, chem- when I say families, it's more or less different chemical structures, you know, like, right. you know, so you'd have, you know, the tectoflon, you know, so you'd have those, you know, those floral elastomers would be, you know, one family. You know, and then you might have a perfluorolastomer would be another family, and then you'd have PFA would be, you know, fluoropolymer would be another family. And then under that, you'd have a bunch of products, and they're going to modify those slightly. So, so really different, an actual different type of polymer would be this family. So we have like about 40 different families, so different types of polymers, and then you modify those slightly under there to get, you know, different properties that people might need for a certain application. And so... You know, we've kind of touched on implants a little bit more, but more explicitly, can you give us a, a few examples of how Solbay's different polymers are utilized in the biomedical field, um, in particular in the following three areas being, you know, hemodialysis, packaging for pills, and for medical implants in particular? So I've touched on the, the pills a little bit, and I've, I've touched on the implants. So, you know, why don't we go to the hemodialysis? Why is hemodialysis needed? So if someone's kidneys are start to fail, then they got to go and they got to 
get hooked up to a hemodialysis machine and then basically does the work of your kidney. And the materials that we have, what's nice about them is that they can make them into a porous type structure that has the right pore size that basically pulls out the bad stuff out of your blood. It's actually the, the filter media that, yeah. that is made out of the plastic. And so the person goes in, they go in for the hemodialysis, and then it filters all that out. You get rid of the filter media, and then you come back you know, two days later and have another treatment with it. So over 25 years, you know, we're a world leader in this area. Approximately 2 million people a year you know, are treated, maybe a little less, you know, treated with these types of materials, you know, solvate type materials uh, each year, which, you know, which is really impressive. It really helps save, you know, a lot of people's lives when they have a, you know, critical problem like this. And we continue to do innovation, you know, we're trying to improve the patient experience. You know, the people, you have to have blood thinners when you get hemodialysis to so try and thin the blood, you know, are there ways to, you know, maybe modify the polymers so, you know, you don't have to have as much blood thinner put in there so that you just don't, you feel better when you come out of it, you get a better patient experience. So that's constantly being looked at. How do you get better patient outcomes, better patient feel? So I'm curious, you know, in the hemodialysis side of it, so the polymers inside the filter. And so my question is, in what ways does further innovation in that, you know, filter material design, how does that further improve, you know, the patient experience? So, you know, I think that you know, working very closely with different companies that are making these devices. You know, I think they really understand, you know, what's being filtered out. You know, we, t- we talked about the blood thinner. The blood thinner is one aspect of it. So if you can reduce the amount of clotting that has, you know, that are on the membranes as you're doing that, then you don't have to put as much blood thinner in, you know, which my understanding does not make the patient feel very good. So if you can modify your, your polymer structure so that you can improve that, then that's one way of, of doing it. You know, and you know, working with the leaders in the industry, there's a lot of science behind this, you know, medical science. So you got to match it with, okay, they understand what's being filtered out, what's, you know, what's good, what's bad, and then how do you modify the polymer? And then there's a, a give and take, you know, always in these types of industries, depending on what you want to do. If you want to start pore size, How's the processing? How expensive is it going to be? Sometimes you can do you can do some pretty fancy things, but then you can't produce it, or you can't produce it in the quantities that you need, and so then all the sudden the cost goes, and it then becomes cost prohibitive. So there's always these give and takes that's you know that you struggle with. There's no perfect world, and that, that's sort of the fun part of it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So it's, you, know, <laughs> you got to have that balance. But you're saying that you can really engineer the structure of this polymer filter to really hone in on the filtering properties and you can really engineer that tightly. Yeah. And then that's the hardcore R&D folks, you know, that's, right. that's what they're doing. And then they try to, you know, try to translate and understand what the OEM, the person making this filter, you know, wants or what they think they want and having that dialogue back and forth. Can you give us a little bit more insight into, you know, what factors specifically are the most sought after? Is it porosity or is it another property in the healthcare area? I, you know, I think it's, I'll give you a list. Sterilization is obviously extremely important. Sure. That, that's why a lot of these materials are, are used. Then you have the disinfectant, so the aggressive chemicals. Then the biocompatibility. So there's something that the FDA has. They're called master access files. And I, I think I was talking to you, one of you ahead of time. If, mm-hmm. if you actually went and printed this master access file out, it would be like this. You know, it would be like, you know, it's super, super, super fast. Tons and tons of data in there. So, and there's a lot of testing that needs to be done. There's a standard out there, ISO 10993. And there's, I think, 21 or 22 different parts to that standard. And so if you're going to go for an implant, a permanent implant, which means 30 days or more, you're going to have a lot more of that portfolio that needs to be 
done and put together. And so all of our ones that go in materials that go in implants, you know, we have that data, we feel comfortable with that. Now the end user still has to design it and determine if it's uh, fit for use in an application. But by us having all that information, they know, oh, this material actually works. You know, it has the properties we need. So it lowers the risk for going forward with those and it helps speed the, the regulatory process. Now, if you go to something that only needs 24 hours of body fluid contact, you know, which is some of our medical grade polymer, which are, you know, the other part of our portfolio, then you don't need as much testing, you know, for that type of, of application because, you know, the risk level doesn't go, is a little bit less because you're not, you're going to be in a permanent implant. So we have that data and that's very important as you go into these types of applications because your, your body does react to different materials in, you know, different strange ways. And so, right. you know, so that's why there's been a lot of regulation and why there's a lot of testing out there to, to make sure that it's, you know, things are safe. Well, we can't really discuss healthcare applications without talking about COVID-19 and this, this pandemic that we're in. So let's just dive into that for a little bit. You know, early on, we saw several companies work together to 3D print face shields for those on the front line. You know, that made national news. So it's clear that polymers continue to play a significant role during this pandemic. So just wanted to ask, how have Solvay's specialty polymers been used during the COVID crisis and what specific properties make them advantageous in this area? This has been one of those times when it's, it's been tough because you want to help. And so like early on in the crisis, we realized that a lot of our materials could be used in these types of applications. It was very dynamic during that period. A lot of things happened very quickly and we really didn't have a our materials weren't really being used extensively into the personal protective equipment area. And it just weren't. We really hadn't thought about that. So as I talked about before, that we have transparent materials, so you can see through them. We have things that can be disinfected, sterilized, you know, all good things, you know, when you have COVID because you, you, you don't want to be transmitting that. So very early on, we got a call from Boeing and they wanted to make face shields. And then this, this was like on a Sunday. And so for meeting on a Monday and by Thursday of that week, we had already, they had already decided on using our materials for the face shields. And these, so these ended up, I think we made approximately 20,000 of these face shields and the president of the United States actually talked about them at a press conference. So, you know, no matter how you feel about the president of the United States, I mean, when, you know, someone at that high of a level is talking about things that you're doing, it's, it, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself. And, and these were going to FEMA. So, you know, really protecting our frontline workers and getting out there very early on in the process. Early on, there was a study done very early on, and I don't know what the data is looks like now, but there was one study that said 50 single-use face shields were used per COVID patient per day. I mean, just I'll, I'll, let's let you think about that for a second. I mean, because we're talking about millions of COVID patients out there now. So I mean, right. 50 per, per patient per day. And so what we really tried to promote was, okay, we have materials that can be either sterilized or disinfected. And the messaging we got early on, we started work, working with some of the states, talking with them. The, dis, the sterilization became less of a priority to them because they just didn't have time to go to the sterilizer and sterilize them. And we were like, okay, if you want to do it once a week or once a day, you can do that. It was really more the disinfect is really what was critical to them because they needed to be able to wipe these down, you know, after, you know, each patient and then be able to try to reuse some of these. So, you know, so we had, you know, we had that very early initial work with Boeing and then we, you know, 
took that concept and went out to, to other people and said, we have materials. We lined up with partners that could actually make these face shields. We started to go out to a dentist, actually. We were trying to think a little bit ahead. And I, I have people in the healthcare industry. My sister is an ER doctor. My brother-in-law is a dentist. And my brother-in-law, his dentist office is shut down. I'm like, well, when he comes back in, I mean, you're in someone's face. I mean, drilling, I mean, stuff's going everywhere. You know, so we started to say, okay, when right now everything's being diverted to, you know, to the frontline workers. But now as we start to open up, how are we going to protect dentists? And we started to, to look at some of these face shields that could be reusable and, and design ones that were interesting to, to dentists. And, you know, they wear loops, you know, so, that, you know, the yeah. mag, giant magnifying glasses, you know, they go out. So, you know, so there's different types of things that they, they want versus a doctor. And it's just minor things, but it, it's important to them. They're paying a lot of money for these loops to be able to see in your mouth. So, you know, we try to help them do that. And so follow up on that is just what in particular about Solvay's polymer solutions made them so advantageous for these face shields? You had mentioned, you know, this, this issue of sterilization and disinfecting in the context of the face shields. Was it that, you know, Solvay's polymers, you could use a slightly more, for lack of better words, aggressive disinfectant and it would hold up better compared to, you know, a different type of polymer system used in the face shields or, or yeah, that, you know, what I mean, was the user need there that was driven by Solvay? Yeah, that was basically, I mean, that's basically it. You have more or less 25 types of disinfectants that are used in a hospital. You don't know which ones are going to be used. They're all pretty aggressive. We have data on, on them to show, hey, it's going to hold up. So that was, it was transparent, clear. That was, you know, extremely important. And then after that, it was then, did it hold up to the disinfectants and, and not get scratched or other things or get hazy from the chemicals that you're using on it? That was, you know, just one application. You know, other things with the transparency was very early on, a lot of people were getting intubated because of the ventilators. Now, you know, it seems like people are starting to move away from ventilators now. Um, they, they see that, that they're trying to get a more just oxygen type environment. But for the doctor, that was one of the most dangerous procedures because when you intubate, the patient basically coughs and then sprays that stuff everywhere in the room. And there was a New England Journal of Medicine one, and they did like a fluorescent dye with a mannequin. And it was just, you know, it literally looked like I took a paintball gun and shot, shot you guys, you know, so, you know multiple times. And so, um, so people were starting in basically in the garages, putting together intubation shields. And one of our large partners, again, this is like a weekend type conversation, we called them up and said, I think we can do this. It's clear plastic. Can you guys help do this? And within a week, they designed it and then they, they did some testing. And basically, they made an intubation shield that you could, had hinges. So all their, their hinges that they use in other medical devices, it could collapse down into a nice flat thing. You could hang it onto the wall. And then, you know, my sister, who's an ER doc, she was one of the people that we sampled it. And so she got it at our house. And she said, I got it. I opened it up and I was able to assemble it in like 20 seconds. So, so, so you hang on the wall, you assemble it super fast, it's super easy. And then, you know, they go in there, do the work, it protects the doctor. Then you, they could do either one. You know, that if you're not going to use it as much, you throw it into a sterilizer or you just disinfect it. So we just saw different opportunities out there to help out our, our healthcare workers. You know, we tried to get samples out there and, and, and develop products. And then we came into the, the N95 masks. So melt blow and polypropylene is the filter material that's used on this. And as you can imagine, it became very short um, as just <laughs> billions and billions of these masks were, were starting to be made. And, you know, we had the thought that one of our materials, PVDF, 
can be made into nanofibers. So not, you know, so it's much smaller fibers, much higher surface area. And so we started to work with people that could actually make an N95 mask out of these more expensive fibers, but they were need less of them. So all of a sudden when you start to do the cost comparison, it's, it was about the same as the other types of technologies. And in addition to that, you could actually, if you needed to, you start to go down the path of how do I sterilize it or, or disinfect it with hydrogen peroxide or something else. Yeah. Cause these types of materials hold up better to chemicals. So it just, as the world became very short in, in supplies, it was like, how do we help out to get more innovative products out there and people became very creative. This is just a quick clarification. So you mentioned PVDF was that polymer material for that 95 mask. Could you break down what that particular or for the Solvay version of the, you know, N95, but you know, what type of polymer is that explicitly or like what's that chemical formula? We kind of did a quick Google search and it's polyvanillidine difluoride and I believe it's one fluorine on top, one fluorine on bottom and then hydrogen on top, hydrogen on bottom. Which gives it some pretty unique structures because it's yeah. you know, if you line up all those in some way, it can give them some really, really neat um, properties for other applications. Which will be get a scientist on here to talk about piezoelectric properties and stuff, and I'm, I'm sure they would love to talk about PVDF and those types of properties. <laughs> but that type of material it can also be used or is used for the batteries for your cell phones, for your cars, all that. So it's a binder and used in those types of applications. So, I mean. Mm-hmm very very versatile materials so you know so as we you know I, I think as we start to think about plastics you know going back to what we were talking about first you know a lot of people think about plastic as the cheap ones you know the, the water bottle and other things a lot of these specialty polymers and plastics are, are really enabling technologies to, to help you know some of these technologies that we all love you know all these green sustainable type technologies you know if you need an electric vehicle you need the PVDF in the in the battery. If you need a windmill, they're getting so big. You need a composite. Our composites have plastics in them, so you need something that has lighter, so that you can actually build a windmill to make green energy. There's a lot of uh, important things to enable these technologies. So can we like go back real quick to the nanofiber aspect? You said the cost comparison. You know that's roughly the same. So is it the fact that you could potentially like sterilize it and reuse it? Is that what makes them advantageous? What, what's the deal there? Yeah, I, I, you know, again, the calculations, it's, it's not as easy of a calculation as you'd think. You'd think it'd be pretty simple, but it wasn't even with reusing it. It was, it was really just, if I remember correctly, you needed to use probably about 150th the amount of material to, to make it. You know, it's just because of the surface area aspect of it. You know, so if you have, you know, you have one big ball, you know, you have a surface area. If you break that ball into, you know, a hundred of them, it's the same amount of volume, but your surface area goes up considerably. So if you have microfibers, you have a surface area. If you make them down to nanofibers, then your surface area just goes through the roof. And, and so then that, you know, that helps to, to collect bad particles that are, are coming in as, as, you know, as you're breathing. Talking about sustainability in the end, you know, big in the news as well as, of course, that plastics and polymers, and especially the single-use plastics, which fall potentially outside of the specialty polymer sector, are under a lot of scrutiny right now for their negative environmental impacts. And, you know, most notably for plastics filling up landfills and microplastics that are in the water and the islands of plastic that have now been, you know, like discovered in the ocean, which are just not great. However, there's still a strong push for the use of plastics in healthcare industry and for various applications, broadly speaking. So, you know, what is the proposition from your perspective 
for using plastics in the healthcare industry from a sustainability perspective when there are potentially comparable alternatives for more reusable materials in these applications. So using, you know, a piece of stainless steel as a medical device instead of, you know, using something plastic or equivalent, you know, what's what's the proposition there? And, and I, I don't think anyone could argue, you know, you know, you see a video on the TV of a fish wrapped in a, you know, six pack holder, you know, it, you know, how can you argue with that? But I encourage your audience, or I just encourage everybody to keep an open mind. As soon as you hear plastics, if your mind just goes, oh, I'm gonna, you, you take that video and oh my God, all plastics are just bad then. And yeah. then I think you get into a bad situation because, you know, we talked about early on, it's you had one perception of plastic, but these specialty plastics are, are much different and they enable a lot of different things. There's always give and takes. Yes. And so I think you have to look at the balance of what does something bring? You know, is it saving in other areas? There's tools out there to do that. One tool that's used a lot in industry are, are life cycle analysis. And so they will say, all right, how much energy, how much are you thrown out, all these different factors, you know, tons and tons of factors and, and so to compare two types of materials. And, you know, you brought up metal and instruments. So we, we did this, we had, you know, single use instrument. I'm not sure that's the best way to talk about it, you know, but it's a single use instrument versus like a, a reusable metal. And there's advantages to that. So let's go back to the knee operation. When that person goes in for knee operation, my understanding is they take in like 40 to 50 cases of instruments into that operating room. Okay. Yeah. Each one of these cases of instruments are like 50 pounds. Okay. And these <laughs> instrument sets can be like a quarter of a million dollars to go in there. So big hospitals are going to have a lot of these instrument sets. So for small instrument sets, they may have to be driven around to the different hospitals for the things. So now if you have a single use instrument, not taking that whole set in there, so maybe with x-rays and you know, advanced techniques with MRIs and other things, the doctor can go, okay, looks like it's either a size four or a five. Do I need to take all the set in there? I'm gonna take two single use instruments in there, close to sterilize a four and a five, you know, I'll open up the four and, and you know, it looks like a four and then that's my best guess. And if it's not, then I use the five. You know, and then so you've opened up just two of them and, and that's it. So you put in this set and then you don't have to go sterilize all that. When you sterilize something, it uses eight gallons of water to do that. And so it's needed. You know, you don't want to get all the infections and everything else. And then if you need to drive the instrument sets around, reusable ones, you got to do all that also. So when we did the life cycle analysis in the U.S., the single use instruments versus the reusable ones, it was more or less a wash when you did it. And yep. then when you looked in Europe, they weren't being driven around as much. The single-use instruments actually came out ahead. But you have the perception of doctors. Doctors are like, I don't feel right just throwing this in the garbage. And, you know, but they don't think of all the other things that are going on there. So that's why I just encourage people to keep an open mind, listen to what the other person's saying, and, and, and come to a conclusion that makes sense for books. I think both sides have value to bring. Nobody wants to destroy the earth. You know, I don't, I got kids. I don't, I don't want to leave them in a worse situation. And so let's just find the right, right balance. And sometimes like in COVID, there's a lot of single use stuff that was wasted, but well, there was a societal gain to doing that. You needed to protect the doctors. You needed to protect the patients. And then as, you know, as things have progressed, we're going to, okay, how do we do things in a different way? So we're not throwing as much stuff out. And you, you just progress over time to, to better and better solutions if you have them. So since you're currently, you know, you've just transitioned to composites, I just wanted to ask, is there a potential application for, you know, polymer composites that could help find that balance that you alluded to? 
one of the fun areas or new areas we're going into is urban air mobility, flying cars, more or less. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's coming around. I mean, there are serious companies out there. You're starting to get it with the delivery. You know, they're all thinking about it. So you know, how do I get that last mile of delivery? Do I need, really need to drive a truck around or can I have a electric delivery drone that flies, drops it off and, and goes back? And so you're saving energy and not sitting around on the street doing that. And then go into cargo drones to, to do this again with electricity. And then really for passengers too, for, you know, maybe short flights going for those ways. So I think that those are, are areas that because of light weighting is very critical because when you're up in the air, you know, more weight is not necessarily a good thing. You know, when you got, you know, limited battery life. So if you have less weight in that vehicle, then it gives you more cargo weight, either being passengers or, or, or whatever you're trying to deliver. So, you know, we're, we're working very closely with them to the different players in that industry to see how we can help them out. And so going back a little, you know, in terms of sustainability of polymers and, and plastics in the healthcare setting, what does the end of life look like for these products after they are used in the healthcare setting, are they able to be recycled? I mean, reuse sounds like it's it's out of the picture, and, and you know, depending <laughs> on the, depending on the circumstance, but you know, yeah. or are there ways for you know a company like Solve to come forward and, and innovate in a way to make the polymer either more recyclable or you know make that end of life cycle a little bit more fortuitous for the planet? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and you know, I think a little bit of it comes down to just volume too. The polymers that we're getting recycled now are just super high use ones. You know, you have tons and tons of water bottles and other types of plastics, so so it just makes sense to try to to recycle all those. You know, as you start to get into the healthcare setting, you don't have as much, but uh, I'll be. I'll be honest, we've, we're having discussions with people that, you know, want to, you know, how do we try to reuse things? Now, the question mark is if it's been exposed, you know, to body fluids, you know, say you have blood on it or other things, now we have a medical waste, you know, now you got to go sterilize it first before that. And, you know, so it just, your cost structure starts to get raised up a lot. So, so there's other, you know, there's complications on there. Now, if there's stuff that, you know, aren't necessarily getting exposed to those types of environments, could you recycle those? Uh, sure, you probably could. And I think, you know, probably on some of the higher volume end products, you know, they're starting to investigate that, how to do it. So I think, yeah, with everything, I think we need to ask the right questions, see if we can do it and see if it makes sense. Yeah, we both get tested for COVID every week. And so it's just, you know, spitting into the cup. It, like I see the purpose, right? But it, it's so much waste. And so it just feels like, oof, not great for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> but good for society. So <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 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 there's, there's no easy answers. I, I mean, it's, it's sure. really, it, it's true. You know, hopefully we'll be out of this sometime next year. And, and you know, if we're not, then I'm sure there's going to be innovation so that you know, maybe have your own personal spit cup or, or who knows, maybe, <laughs> you know, or, or who knows there's an application or you breathe into your smartphone and it tells you if you have COVID. I don't know. So it's, you know, so it's that would be cool. You know, it, I mean, <laughs> things will progress, I'm sure. And if, if we continue to stay in this type of environment. For sure. There's definitely a lot of room for, for innovation and, and improvement. So we really covered a lot today from different polymer applications in the healthcare industry, like hemodialysis, COVID, you know, medical implants. So I just like for you to bottom line it for us. So what are two to three main ideas you would like for our listeners to take away from this conversation? Well, you know, I, I assume a lot of your listeners are, you know, in the, in the science field. I think plastics or healthcare, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of innovation going on and, and a lot of fun. 
So, I mean, if those are areas that interest you, I, you know, I really think that it should be something you should investigate because we, we need good people to, to help with it and there's continuing to be innovation over time. So, you know, please uh, come, come, and, come and join us in that area. But if, if that's not the right area, there's a lot of different fields that you can go into also. I think, I think that would be the main one. I'm super excited about science and plastics and, and, and I, want, I want people to get excited about that and put their, their minds and resources into it. If our audience members, you know, wanted to reach out to you and, and learn more about this particular topic, you know, what would be the best way for them to go about doing so? Probably, you know, LinkedIn works, you know, LinkedIn would be great. You know, if they want to reach out, it would probably, probably be the best way, I would think. Great. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll make sure to provide that information then accordingly in the show notes. So yeah, Jeffrey, just thank you so much for stopping by today and uh, being part of the It's a Material World podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. I, re- I really enjoyed doing this and I uh, really appreciate the time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It's a Material World podcast. We look forward to releasing our next episode in two weeks. Please subscribe to our podcast feed in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And tell your friends about our show on social media. But until then, if you want to hear from us, we are on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Follow or subscribe to us on those platforms to keep up to date with all things It's Material Worlds between our episodes. Search for us as the It's a Material Worlds podcast. Links to our social media sites will also be in the show notes. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. We're just two college students just getting started out with a podcast, and we really want to grow this show with our community's input. You can send us feedback through messaging on any of our social media sites. We also love to hear your comments through reviews on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to also provide feedback by messaging us directly on LinkedIn either to Punith Upadhyay or Thomas Miller. But until then, take care and stay healthy.